I hope that you're gaining a lot from our study through the subject of the Holy Spirit. Uh, tonight we'll be looking uh, a little bit deeper in a moment as we look at the gift of the Holy Spirit and what the scriptures have to say on, on that matter. If you go on our website, you're going to see under our, I think it says messages, and then you'll find sermon notes. You'll find the lessons already planned out. So there's 12 lessons. Tonight is the seventh one. And I've linked the audio to them. I've given you the notes from here. And I have worksheets that I probably need to go over and post those as well. If I find the time, I'll try to do that um, as soon as possible if you're, if you're interested in that and in further study. So you're going to have that as a reference. And if you are interested in sharing this with others or even with those who are not here on uh, Sunday morning or Sunday night, I think that would be a good thing. Um, uh, and again, I, I find a lot of great things in the study of the Holy Spirit. And the thing that stands out to me, again, are the gifts. You know, th this is the means of which we have many spiritual blessings. And so as we think about uh, the gifts that God has given us and we thank God for them, we cannot exclude God's Holy Spirit who has blessed us and given those, those wonderful things. Uh, I'm always concerned with my kids when they get something and they have a gift, whether it's a stick of gum or some big gift from one of their grandparents, that they are thankful. And it's kind of peculiar sometimes what they are thankful for and what they aren't. And I, that's very concerning to me um, as a parent that I want to make sure my children are thankful and specifically thankful to God. Romans chapter 1 warns us that those who do not honor God, do not recognize Him, do not thank Him, are most likely going to drift away and drift off into sin. I would definitely want to avoid that. So thankfulness is very, very important. Uh, tonight, as we get into the subject of the Holy Spirit, I have a, a lot of scriptures, and I've been trying to condense them. I don't want to do a lot of Bible reading tonight. And so there might be a few scriptures I put up, and I might move a little bit fast through them. I hope you'll forgive me on that. But as we, we look at the matter this evening, we're going to look at the subject of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this ties in with last week. So last week we looked at the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. A lot of passages in the Old Testament on the subject of God's Spirit being poured out. Spoken of in a way that He is refreshing thirst, uh, the thirst of the ground of thirsty people. And so I hope that, I think we got that last, night, last week about how Christ spirit, the spirit of God, how he is refreshing to us and what he does in giving us the truth. Do not really the subject of also the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So there's been a lot of discussion on this and I remember reading in, in graduate school various views about the meaning and understanding of the subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the baptism of fire. I want to go on and clarify that tonight. Some might refer to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as the baptism of fire. And I know I got one verse up there from Luke 3.16, but there's a number of others that we will not be reading tonight. I originally had John chapter 1 and verse 33 for us to be read, but again, to, to condense this down um, and not overburden us with a lot of reading, I removed that this evening. But I want you to listen to what John says right here. And it might be good that we open our Bibles. In fact, let's do that. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. Because we're going to want to put this in context. John answered them and he, in saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And I know some people are thinking, okay, the tongues of fire, 
appearing over the heads of the disciples. That must be what he's referring to. But that's not what he's referring to. And as we're going to look a little bit further about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of fire uh, specifically is something else. Let's see what the scriptures say. Matthew chapter 3, and look at verse 11. But I want you to back up to verse 10. And listen what John is saying here. He says, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, does, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What fire is that? Look at verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. What is that fire? And I must use the context, the surrounding passages, to understand what he means by baptism of fire. So there is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. I want that baptism. I want the blessings of the Holy Spirit, eternal life that comes and what I receive when I'm baptized in Jesus' name, when I become a Christian. I don't want the baptism of fire. And that's clearly, the unquenchable fire is very clearly hell. You can look at other passages over in Mark chapter 1 and see something very similar to that. And I know I'm in Matthew here. We could have gone to Luke chapter 3. But that automatically comes to my mind is Matthew chapter 3 and the verses uh, before and after that. So, baptism of fire. I can't make it any clearer. I don't know if I've convinced you already, but I hope that I have. We don't want that baptism. And I would not connect that baptism with the Holy Spirit. But I do hear that today. I do hear people claiming, have you been baptized with fire? Or you might hear that in a figurative sense. I've heard the idea of baptism of fire in connection with war and enduring things in that matter. And, and that would um, symbolically make sense if, if you had to live and endure in such a situation like that. You might compare it to hell. So how can believers not get sincerely confused? And why I'm bringing that up about the Holy Spirit is that I think there are a lot of people that are sincerely confused. And that is, we might read some things in the Bible about the Holy Spirit and depending on how we're raised and the things we've been taught, we, we make assumptions and we jump ahead and we think, oh, I, I know what that's about. I understand that. I know a lot of people, they, they come up reading Ephesians chapter 1 about the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And I've been in some churches among churches of Christ. I don't know what your beliefs are uh, among the congregation here on the idea of the illumination and enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. But I remember having uh, an elder back in Montgomery who said, now when we read our Bible, the Holy Spirit, He is directly giving us revelation and helping us to understand the passage. And I like that idea. It's a beautiful idea. But I can't support that with the Bible. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe there's somebody here who can show me that. But that is something that I can't just make the assumption on. So that's how I want us to be very, very careful in how we're using the Scriptures. Because a lot of people have taken it and said, okay... I'm reading about the gift of the Holy Spirit and I'm applying it to myself and I think I should have these gifts that were mentioned in the first century. Let's go on a little bit further here. So we're looking at the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're looking at the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49 before he ascends into heaven telling his disciples to remain in Jerusalem until power from on high comes upon them. 
power from on high. And it's very, very clear, and that's the promise that Jesus, which we've read about already in John chapter 14 through 16, that he promised the Holy Spirit to come, and the Holy Spirit would come with power from on high, and that's what we read that happens in the book of Acts. But let's see what also we read in, in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5 here. Luke reports this. And he says, And while staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. There again, Jesus says, Don't leave Jerusalem. But wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then the question comes up, was it just the apostles? Or was it just the Gentiles and the apostles, like the Gentiles in Cornelius' house? Was it just the apostles in Cornelius' house? Are there others, maybe those that you might read about in Acts chapter 5, when they gathered together and were praising God together, and it says the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Would that include the baptism of the Holy Spirit? This is what I think we're going to see tonight. We've read a lot of prophecies and predictions about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And as I showed you last week from Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is for all everyone. In fact, we're going to see tonight the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't take the position that this is strictly miraculous. My understanding is that this is the pouring out, so it, this is the blessing on all Christians. And it begins with the apostles. It begins with the apostles that the Holy Spirit comes upon them. All right, And so we're getting a little bit deeper on some of these things and connecting these things we've been studying together. And if you have notes, I think that would very much help you, uh, especially if you need to go back and review looking at tonight and, and last Sunday night. So to whom was Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit and, and baptism? We see the apostles. We look in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, that's the uh, Jewish feast, that is 50 days after the Passover. That's what Pentecost means. And it means the count or cost meaning 10 and then penta meaning 5, indicating 50 days. Just as they were told to do, as God told them to do in the old law. So they were all together, and here we have these men in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. So in Jerusalem, here's a feast. And I like to kind of picture that and think about what that would have been like, to be able to hear this rushing wind disturb the city. And it filled the house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And so I can see why someone sincerely might say, it looks like Holy Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit's baptism, but there, there's fire right there. And I can see why someone might leap to that conclusion, but again... The, bat, the baptism of fire is certainly not that. And then we keep reading here, and it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the apostles have the ability to speak in other languages, and they immediately begin to use that gift to proclaim the gospel to multiple nations who have come there in Jerusalem. And that is what happens in the beginning. Now we keep reading here, and Peter begins preaching, and he tells them, he says, this is the part of the promise. What is happening here with the apostles? This is part of God's promise. So Acts chapter 2, verse 32 and 33 says this. Peter says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, notice this, Christ said at the right hand of God that they would send the Holy Spirit, and having received from the Father, that is them, and 
They have received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What I want to emphasize here, we've seen that this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the event that's occurring here. We're also seeing here that this is what has been prophesied. We read a number of scriptures last Sunday evening about the Holy Spirit being poured out. And he's poured out upon God's people, upon those who are faithful, and on the church. And it began here with the apostles. Uh, and I, I can't overemphasize that. And again, you can look here in Acts chapter 2, 14 through 18, and again, see again that this is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And why I mentioned Acts chapter 2, 14, this has the quotation from Joel. Remember when we looked in Joel chapter 2? That's a passage that I've got stuck in my head. And it's Joel chapter 2, and I think it's around what, verses 22, 23 and following, where you have prophecy through Joel of a time in which the Holy Spirit will be poured out. So right now I'm trying to, I'm connecting, making it very clear. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people have different ideas about that, a lot of different claims, but we can be very clear tonight of what the Bible says. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the promise of God that we've read about throughout the Old Testament of the blessings being poured out upon those who are faithful and believe in the coming Messiah and in Jesus Christ. And we've gone through the list. I'm not going to do that again tonight. I might save it for again. We'll, we'll come back to it. A list of the many blessings that we have today in the church from the Holy Spirit. We keep reading, and I hope you're familiar with this. Go with me to Acts 2, verses 38 and 39. And so here we have that great promise. Every one of us in here who's been baptized in Jesus' name has read this scripture. You probably can quote it. I bet half of us can. And we think about when I was baptized in Jesus' name, that's when I received the Holy Spirit. You're right. Now let's look at it a little bit more in detail because of, of how Peter describes this event and what he says here. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I mentioned last week, the division in our brotherhood, the different views. And um, you, could, you could break it down between Gus Nichols and, and Guy Woods. And so Guy Woods right here, reading him, he would say the gift of the Holy Spirit right here is only the miraculous gift. Whereas Gus Nichols would say, no, this is the, the blessings of the whole, of giving the Holy Spirit, of which everyone receives blessings uh, it comes first, of course, through the apostles who, yes, they have miraculous abilities that they can do through their hands. But there are many blessings that come to all believers. And it's very clear right here because how many people were baptized after this? You know, 3,000. So 3,000. Um, what happened with them? I think it'd be great. You know, like Moses said, if all people would prophesy, that would be a great thing. But God doesn't work that way. He gives specific individual gifts in the first century by the laying on of the apostles' hands that we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses, um, I think that's 29, 30, and 31. Keep reading here. Look at verse 39. It says, for the promise, that's where verse 39 starts, for the promise is for you. What promise? That's the promise we've been reading about, all these predictions. And we've read, what, two dozen, three dozen passages from the Old Testament predicting the coming of the Holy Spirit, being poured out in blessings upon the faithful, upon God's people. For the promise is for you. This pouring out, this blessing of the Holy Spirit 
that he already said was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out, is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. I usually ask, some people usually at this point, if I'm in an open study, I say, what do you, who do you think the far off are? And it's a little bit of a trick question. So you might try to answer that right now. We're going to answer it in a minute. Um, but everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Wait a minute. So the promise is to everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. I can't make it any more clear than that. That we're all blessed by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out. And those blessings come when we're baptized in Jesus' name and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I can clarify that any more than what I just did. And hopefully we can put it together a little bit further. And I guess the best way for me to describe that is my perspective is not a narrow focus that this is just miraculous. But this again consists of all the blessings that God said would come through His Holy Spirit starting right here on Acts chapter 2. The far off, who are these individuals and what, what is uh, Jesus talking about? I mean, what is Peter talking about right here? So the Holy Spirit was poured out, poured out partly on those who are far off. My conclusion is that the far off is not talking about the generations to come. It's not specifically to us. And of course, we would be included under everyone who's called. That's where we are. But the far off would also, he's saying, to the Gentiles. That's my understanding. So Cornelius' conversion revealed that God poured the gift of the Holy Spirit on the nations. We know that. We see that the speaking in tongues and praising God indicated that the Gentiles, Cornelius' house, there in Acts chapter 10, had received the Holy Spirit. Uh, they're the only exception. They're the only ones who received the blessing, the gifts of the Holy Spirit before they were baptized. They are the exception to the rule, the exception that proves the rule. And here's another point that I think that stands out to me. It's the same in Greek from Acts chapter 2 and verse 39 to Ephesians 2. The far off, Paul calls them, those who are far off, the nations, the Gentiles. So that is my understanding, is that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is, is for all flesh. That's what Joel 2 says, and it's for all people. And I think we need to clarify that, because some people will say today, well, no, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, only for the first century Christians, or it was only for Jews and not for Gentiles. As we see, the blessings, all these blessings come upon all flesh. So how did the Gentiles receive the gift of the Holy Spirit like the apostles? Because that's what we're going to read in the next passages, and I think we can't overlook this. In Acts chapter 15, Acts 11, you have little summary reviews where uh, Paul, is, I'm sorry, Peter is giving a report about what happened. What happened when Cornelius and their household received the, gifts, the gift of the Holy Spirit? And what events took place? And there's much we can draw from this as well. So why did God send the Holy Spirit upon the Cornelius household? This is what we read, just like on the apostles. And it again was to show to the Jews that they are acceptable. They're, they're to be included in the promises that have been promised to Israel. Acts 15, 7-9 says this, After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, and this is in that great meeting of, of the elders there in Judea and the apostles in Acts 15. He says, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles, the nations, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, 
having cleansed their hearts by faith. And so we see another blessing of the Holy Spirit uniting all people, all ethnicities in the church. And then we look a little bit further here at the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 11, verses 15 to 18. I'm trying not to, to read too much tonight, but I can't stress the importance of the details that are in these, these passages. So Acts chapter 11, I'm not going to have this one on the screen. If you want to look at it with me, you can do that. Verses 15 to 18. It says here, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia. I'm, I'm on the wrong passage. I thought I was on 15. Back up to 15. He says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as us in the beginning. Well, who did the Holy Spirit fall on in the beginning? Well, the apostles. So Peter is re reporting that just as the Holy Spirit fell on us, he fell on the Gentiles, on Cornelius' family and household and those who were with him who believed. Verse 16, And I remembered the word of the Lord and how he said, John baptized with water, but you were baptized with the Holy Spirit. So again, there should be no doubt that that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that they've all, both Jews and Gentiles, partake of the same blessing. Look at verse 17. If then God gave the same gift, notice the word gift there, we'll talk about that in a moment, to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You know, just reading that seems kind of strange. I guess, as far as I know, I have no Jewish blood. But I'm thinking, of course the Gentiles, of course. You know, most Christians today, and especially in churches of Christ, we would fall under the category of Gentiles. Uh, but it, it just seems kind of peculiar looking back on it from the Jewish perspective. But, oh, they've been given repentance that leads to life. Certainly. Um, okay, so some observations here. Peter went up to Jerusalem to explain how God sent him to the Gentiles, to Cornelius', Cornelius house. The Spirit fell upon the Gentiles just as the Spirit came upon the apostles in the beginning. We noticed that. This was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We read that. And this is the gift of God given to those who believe in Jesus Christ. They were given this gift because they believed. That's what is qualified. So, when we think about the gift of the Holy Spirit, we understand that it comes upon all. I think there's something else to specify here that can be confusing. Sometimes you might hear a preacher or a teacher, you might hear me talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then turn around and talk about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there's a difference, and I hope that we know that. And so, if you look at the Greek text, and I come into mind, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 31, the, the word for gifts of the Holy Spirit, meaning the miraculous gifts that were passed on by the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Greek word is charismata. You might call them charismatic gifts. And there are, and that's usually the description of churches today who believe they still have those gifts. They're called charismatic churches because they're claiming to have the charismatic Mata, that they're having those, those gifts. And it's not really clear when you're reading your English Bible um, to, to pick that out. The thing that stands out to me is usually when you read charismata, it's plural, gifts of the Spirit. And the other gift that we've been talking about tonight in Acts 2.38 that we get when we're baptized, that's the Greek word do, doria. 
Doria. And so that is a singular gift. And there's a difference between them. One is the giving of the Holy Spirit in general, being poured out. The other one is specific gifts and abilities that the Holy Spirit gave to the apostles. And, to, and that was passed on through the apostles' hands. So Philip preached the gospel in Samaria, where men and women were baptized. You remember that in Acts chapter 8? And you remember what happens next? It says that they had not received the Holy Spirit. And, and the implication is that they needed gifts in that congregation. They needed those gifts, those charismatic gifts. So that's where I'm kind of going to now. I'm distinguishing what we talked about in the beginning from the gift to gifts of the Holy Spirit, the charismatic gifts, the miraculous gifts. And that's what we see here is that the apostles, if you notice right here, I don't know if I'm going to read all of this, but he says the apostles were in Jerusalem. And so Philip wasn't able to lay on hands, but it says Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he, didn't, he had yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So think about that now. In Acts 2.38, when you're baptized in Jesus' name, you receive the gift. But being baptized in Jesus' name doesn't mean you have all those gifts. Something else had to happen. The only exceptions to this are, again, the apostles and Cornelius. All the other times that a charismatic, a miraculous gift was given, you needed the apostles. And so, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now look at that last sentence there. Then they laid their hands on them. And they receive the Holy Spirit. And you can go over to Acts chapter 19 and you'll find the same thing. And there are a number of other passages that continue to teach that that was how the gifts were passed on. In fact, if you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 8 right now, you can keep reading after verse 17. Go down to 18 and 19 and you will get the conclusion. You remember that encounter with Simon the sorcerer wanting to purchase and have this ability to have these gifts? And Peter corrects him. And he says, he saw, this is what Simon saw, he saw that the apostles passed on the gifts by the laying on of their hands. While I'm on this, it's kind of a by-the-way point to add to this. While we're talking about the gift and gifts, there's also a difference between the apostles laying on hands to pass on gifts and what we also read in the Bible about elders laying on hands. And so before someone became a deacon, or came into an official role, even Timothy would lay on hands. He would pray over someone by laying on hands on them and saying that he approves of them and their leadership and work in the church. All right, so maybe that's what I'm addressing right here. But no, here's another one about the miraculous laying on of hands. So Paul revealed to the 12 believers, if you remember those who have been baptized in John's baptism, and yet they didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And Paul said, well, this is a problem. And what was the answer to that? The answer was that they were baptized in Jesus' name. Read it with me, Acts 19, 5 through 6. On this hearing, hearing about the Holy Spirit, they were baptized in the name of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. So he gave them a gift and abilities. They were already demonstrated. They were faithful. They believed in Jesus, but they did not have the Holy Spirit. We see a similar occasion in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6 where Timothy received a gift when Paul laid his hands on him. I think the big question there comes, if you look at that other scripture up there, 
in your Bible. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 14. That passage, a lot of people have wrestled with it because it also says there that the eldership laid their hands on Timothy. But the elders laying hands on him didn't give him a gift. Paul's laying hands on Timothy did. The elders were saying they approved of him and his teaching and his role as an evangelist. So what happened to the charismatic gifts of the Spirit? Before we finish tonight, we'll take a, a look at this very briefly. What happened to the gifts of the Spirit? Signs, wonders, and powers, what was the purpose of them? I already got the answer up there. You can cheat. So go on and look. It was to confirm the Word. Someone comes to you and says, I have a revelation from God. Okay, prove it. Well, they could. Well, we can heal. We can do these miraculous things. We can do signs, wonders, and powers. They confirm the Word. That was the miraculous, the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. Prophesying and partial knowledge or partial prophecy, it lasted until they resulted in completion. We read about this in 1 Corinthians 13, that these things were going to exist and then they were going to stop. A lot of people today say, well, we think those gifts are going to continue on to the completion when Christ comes back. But I don't think, looking at the context, is what the test, that text is saying. It's saying very clearly, you've got partial knowledge, but when that knowledge is completed, then you won't need those gifts anymore. And how would I know if those gifts are, are completed? Well, I can look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says that we've given all doctrine everything we need to know. You know, we've given all doctrine, uh, everything that has, that's needed to equip us. The Bible is all sufficient and complete. I can also go back to what we've talked about before when Jesus said, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will lead you into all truth. So there is a completion of knowledge in prophesying. And then we also see this, the apostles receive power from on high to pass gifts to other Christians, as we've already noted, by the laying on of hands. That is the purpose of miracles. This is another kind of by-the-way thing here tonight. I would be very careful in arguing with someone over the subject of the word miracle. And I, I hear it in our, in our brotherhood, and I would just be cautious on that. I, don't, I won't want to die on that hill. I want to make sure someone knows and obeys the gospel first. And this is, this is the thing. Is a lot of people, when they say miracle today, they don't mean what we mean. And I would say, I wish I could say right now that what we mean is always the biblical definition. But let me put it like this. Have, have those miraculous gifts through hands ceased? Yes, I definitely believe that. I think I've shown that tonight. But the word for miracle in the Bible, well, the word miracle wouldn't even appear in any of our English translations if it wasn't translating another word. Okay? So there are three words in the Bible that are used for miracles signs wonders and powers and most of the time that word signs will be translated miracles here or there and then sometimes the word for powers will be translated miracles but if they were always translated by the same word signs wonders and powers the word miracle would not appear in the bible you just wouldn't have it and so when you get into a discussion on what a miracle is and we're trying to make our case. I think we need to be more specific. Signs, wonders, and powers through the hands of men, that's what has ceased. 
Will Christ come back one day? Will bodies be raised? Will people be transformed and given glorified bodies? Will Christ ascend from the heavens? Will we be lifted up to meet him in the sky? Yes. Would you call that a miracle? I think so. So I think we're, we, we realize when we're saying miracles are ceasing, we mean through the hands of men. Because there are amazing things that God does and will do. And he's still doing them. So I encourage you to be very, very careful about that. I mean, you can get into a debate today, a debate, and someone's going to say, well, I think every baby is a miracle. Are you going to debate with them on that? I'm not going to get in that discussion. Because I know what our position is, but they're not meaning, they're not even talking on the same subject right then. So be very careful about that. Um, we could also make the point that our prayers are being heard supernaturally by our Creator. And I remember hearing debates about, is that, really, is that a miracle or not? And again, I just don't think that's worth dividing over. We can discuss it, but um, I, I cautious you, don't, don't lose anybody on debating on such things. In fact, I'm going to add to that as we finish up tonight. The Bible tells us, Paul tells Timothy, avoid disputes. Avoid disputes that will hurt those who hear. Okay? So maybe you are in the right position and you have all the scriptures. But if it's just going to burn a bridge, you need to think about how you're going to handle that and your approach. Let's start with the gospel. Start with the basics of the truth. Uh, the other thing that Paul also tells Timothy is that we correct with gentleness. Okay, unless it's a very divisive person like the Pharisees whom Jesus had to directly address or whom Paul had to directly address, or as John had to call out, uh, what is it, Diotrephes? You'll be reading that in your reading this week in 3 John. Otherwise, the Bible tells us to be gentle in our teaching, to be merciful. So we finish tonight. We're going to conclude with this. When do we receive the Holy Spirit? When do we receive the gift? And I think we've seen tonight. Another passage that tells us about this is it's when we obey God. When we obey Him, those who obey God receive the Holy Spirit and we receive the blessings, the washing, the sanctification that's making us holy, being just and right before God. All that comes in the name of Jesus Christ when we're baptized. And as we saw last week, Christ saves us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So I hope tonight you're able to see, and it's a little bit more clarity, the difference between the gift the baptism, the pouring out from the charismatic gifts that were confirming the word in the first century. Tonight, if you haven't become a Christian, I think you've seen the scriptures tonight of when the Holy Spirit acts and saves you and justifies you, when God saves you. Acts 2, verse 38, as we've read, you've got to repent, having already believed and confessing your faith, be baptized to have your sins forgiven in Jesus' name. If you haven't done that, you can do that tonight. If you need prayers and encouragement, Come right now. Let's sing together.